Amen. Or you can grab a seat, and uh, you can also rearrange where you're seated if you need to. You want to come up closer, move further back. Uh, grab a Bible if you want to. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a Bible app, uh, there are Bibles in a basket by the table right back there. Uh, kids, if you're going to Kid City, every, every K through 5th is invited now to Big Kid City. Sorry. Um, and while, while kids are making their way, you can also grab a Bible in the back. Um, if you don't have one, you can keep that one. Even if you have one, you can keep it too. But uh, we love you once you have a Bible. And you go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. All right. While you're turning there, I'll tell you, I, I went to the rodeo last night, the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo, and um, it was a really good time. It was a Rodeo is a crazy thing, all right? And we act like, oh, yeah, just a rodeo. We're going to the rodeo. Look at those guys doing what they're doing back there or out there in the, in the dirt, okay? And um, uh, rodeo, if you didn't know this, is the, actually the official sport of Texas. Um, and uh, it makes me feel just a little bit less Texan to know that. Um, not because I, like, I've actually competed in some rodeos growing up, okay? So I might be even more in this space than most people, but I was always on a horse, okay? So I feel like that's, the, that's like, a, the right animal to be on if you're going to be in a rodeo, okay? That they will listen to what you're saying usually. So I was on a horse with a saddle that was not purposely being provoked to try to get me off of it, okay? So that's all the rodeos that I, can, I competed in were doing that, um, I was trying to get like a group of cows from one place to another, which is a very functional ranch activity, okay? Um, and uh, that just seems so tame compared to these dudes who are literally like strapping themselves to a multi-ton creature who is being encouraged to try to get them off, okay? That is what I was doing. I don't even think qualifies as rodeo. That, what these guys are doing, that is, that is rodeo, okay? That's Garth Brooks, you know... Uh, yeah, some people know, like, Garth Brooks has a really very, like, quintessential rodeo. So I think it's called Rodeo. So um, if you're not into country music, good for you. Um, but uh, what was fascinating being at the rodeo was watching uh, the response to these guys when they made it safely off of a horse or a bull. That was fascinating because it wasn't like a celebration uh, of the fact that they survived this encounter with this animal. I think that would be a valid thing to celebrate. Like, I think that would be a valid response. Hey, I made it off and I'm alive. Everything's, I mean, all, I'm intact. I feel like that would be like a very reasonable response um, that they just made it to another round of this strange hobby that they've chosen or pr profession if that's what they're doing professionally. Um, but the response of almost all of them was to turn around and look at the Jumbotron which is cool that they had a Jumbotron and it was really nice. Um, but they would turn and look and they weren't looking for like, man, how did I do, how did I look? You know, they, I can tell you most of these guys were not concerned about that. Um, and uh, it, what they were looking for um, was their score, right? So they would get a score based on their performance uh, in, in how well they rode this bull or how, how well they rode this horse. Um, and that's obviously why they're doing this. They're doing this to compete with other cowboys to see who can do this best, who can please the judges and get the highest score. That's what you're trying to do in rodeo. Um, and uh, there's this group of judges. I don't actually know where they were in the, in the space. And so somewhere they're watching to see how well they rode this horse or bucking bull. I, I tell you, I'd be the worst judge. I'd be like, look, 
He, he, it's been eight seconds. Maybe it's been four seconds. Okay, good for him. All right, let's give him some kind of award. That's amazing. But that's not how they do it. They give him a grade. Okay, so it's like zero to 100. Nobody ever gets 100. And, uh, and so uh, it struck me that I think this is sort of the impression of the Christian life that a lot of people actually have, um, that God is our judge sitting in heaven sort of grading us out on how we ride this bucking bull of morality, right? How well we conform to these set of rules and so how well we do. And that's how God is to a lot of us as he is a judge who is sort of looking to critique and score our Christian uh, performance? Did we stay on long enough? Did we have the right form? Did we look right when we were doing it? And then based on that score, he allocates his love towards us and potentially throws in some blessings, right? So, hey, uh, because you did this well enough, I'm going to give you a raise at work, or I'm going to um, heal your kid from this sickness, or I'm going to, well, you didn't do well enough, so I'm actually going to punish you in this way. And so that's why this is unfolding in your life. That's why this problem is showing up. And so we treat the Christian life like this strange, uh, like confused rodeo. And uh, it's, it's not actually surprising to drift into that mentality since that's the dominant theme of religion globally. Not just, not just in like the Bible Belt. That is the dominant theme of uh, religion across every culture. It's not a Fort Worth thing. This is an every culture thing. Be changed. Get it right in order to be loved and accepted by God. That is what religion will teach you across every culture is do the right thing and you will be accepted by God. Uh, you can track every, just, just like go take a perspectives course, go sit in any uh, religion class and, and get to the bottom of it and you're going to see it's about achieving in order to be accepted by God. And if you aren't in that camp, you likely drift into the opposing viewpoint, okay? The opposite end of that spectrum would be to say that God accepts me as I am and I need not be changed. I need not be changed at all. My standard is the standard that matters and God won't judge me. After all, he is a loving God. So that's the flip side of the equation. So maybe you rebel against the whole idea of religion and so you're gonna flip to the other side and say, I'm just gonna be me and God will love me for me, okay? Uh, but neither of these actually reflects the gospel of Jesus. And that's why when we engage with the truth that the Apostle Paul is writing about in the book of Ephesians, we're dealing with something incredibly unique. What we're, what we're talking about, what we're working through might seem like very familiar to you because you've been around uh, gospel preaching churches, or maybe this is super familiar to you, but this is not a, a, a really, uh, this is a very unique message that's being preached the book of Ephesians. And uh, it's incredibly potent, it's powerful. And it's formative in the lives of those who receive it. It changes your life. Okay, so the gospel doesn't say be changed and you will be accepted. It says you're accepted and so be changed. You hear that? The gospel doesn't, whatever gospel, if you have been believing something other than that, maybe, maybe just this week you, you like found in the nooks and crannies of your soul, you've been in a place where you're saying, um, I'm trying to get back into a place where God will accept me or where he loves me or where he doesn't see me as a failure. That is not what the gospel preaches. And so it's this radical news that Paul, that got a hold of Paul, Saul of Tarsus. If you remember uh, in Acts chapter 9, the guy who wrote the book of Ephesians was a guy named Saul. He got a hold of this news of the gospel and it caused him, caused him to stop doing whatever it was that he was doing, which actually was persecuting Christians. Okay, so you know this story likely if you've been around the church. Saul of Tarsus, he was, a, he was a terrorist of the early church. He got a hold of this news of the gospel. Jesus met him in, in this really profound way and explained the gospel to him. 
and it totally shifted his life. He changed uh, radically. And the Spirit of God was empowering the proclamation of the gospel to do radical things in the lives of people. And so I just want to, as we're getting into Ephesians chapter 4, remind you of what kind of things were happening around Ephesus at the time. Like, so Paul was writing this from prison after he had been uh, doing ministry in Ephesus, after this had occurred. But um, this was, in Acts chapter 19, you get a snapshot of what things were like when the proclamation of this gospel that we're talking about today, this set of news that the Spirit of God empowered, okay, this was what was happening. It said, uh, and God was doing extraordinary miracles. I think it's up on the screen, okay? And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and, or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Can you imagine? I'm kind of like got some kind of a funk going on. Like you might hear that in my voice, not feeling great. Okay, so that's where I'm at. But can you imagine if somebody's like, oh, hey, I got a Paul, Pauler chief, you know, and touched me and I was like, you know, I'm totally healed. Can you imagine? That's crazy. Uh, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So they're kind of just like a derivative exorcist. They're like, hey, I don't really know Jesus, but I'm kind of trying to do a workaround, and Paul talks about it, so maybe it'll work for us. Okay? And uh, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You're like, this is crazy. That is crazy, okay? And so if you don't think that there's like another spiritual realm happening here, guys are getting beat up and their clothes are getting ripped off and they run away naked, okay? And uh, it's because they're trying to uh, kind of grab hold of this gospel and proclaim it without really knowing the Jesus of it. They're just trying to do it derivative, der- derivatively. But did you hear what this evil spirit said? In the spiritual realm, there was a wake being felt because Jesus got a hold of a guy named Paul. Paul I recognize. Yeah, God's doing something through him. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, for the record, not Paul's. Also, many of, the practice, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Just so you know that 50,000 pieces of silver, the, uh, the math on that would equate to something like $5.5 million worth of magic books. Now, I've never seen a magic book, and I'm not thinking of like World of Warcraft magic, but I'm thinking like these are actually, this is a dark art, this is a way, this is a worship guide into a place apart from Jesus, okay? And so what was happening is Paul was preaching the gospel, and it was changing people's lives. It was changing their worship. They were being changed by the gospel. And that's what's clear as you read the New Testament and understand the gospel that Paul proclaimed is that changing how you behave won't get you into the kingdom of God. But being in the kingdom of God will change the way that you behave. That is an just inescapable reality. And even more in Ephesians, we're going to see that God's Spirit cares deeply about how we relate to one another now that we are in the kingdom of God. 
It doesn't just change how we operate in our own isolated little space. It changes how we relate with one another. To follow Jesus is going to mean that we're transformed by his spirit. Okay, we talked last week about how we are given a new identity, and that new identity, we experience that by being renewed in our mind. It's the spirit of God who's renewing our minds to live out this new identity. And so what I want you to see today is that as the spirit is recreating you in God's image, okay, so it's not not you who's doing that. Just so you know, just to take the pressure. If you're leaving here thinking, man, I got to just make it happen. I got to change my life. I got to turn it around. I need to make all my New Year's resolutions right now all over again and, and, and get them tattooed on my arm. It's the Spirit who's changing you. As the Spirit is recreating you in God's image, that's what we're going to see is that He's not just doing that haphazardly, He's doing that into something in particular. He is forming the church into God's community. So as He's doing something with you, He's actually doing something with us. Okay? So if you're a part of this community, that means that as he's transforming you, changing you more into God's image, he's actually forming us as a church to be more accurately reflecting God's community. Okay, so if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here visiting, kind of checking that out, know that that's what we're wanting to be is God's community in this city, okay? And, uh, and we're imperfect in that, but God is changing us into his image more and more, okay? So it's a spirit that is changing you, not achieving something as much as surrendering to someone, Okay, so the Christian life isn't about achieving something more. It's about surrendering to the Spirit's work as he's changing you more and more, okay? And so last week, uh, we saw that we haven't been given a new set of instructions. You've been given a new identity, okay, a new, meaning, a new source of meaning, significant and, significance, and security. So if you, if you have a new identity, that means you draw from, have a place that you get a new source of uh, meaning, significance, and security, and that comes from God. Uh, through the gospel. And so C.S. Lewis says it this way, because we're not just talking about how can we be uh, better people. We're talking about how are we made new. Okay, so C.S. Lewis says it like this in Mere Christianity. He says, God became man to turn creatures into sons. You hear that? God became man, Jesus, to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man, the new self. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. You see what he's saying? We're not just trying to fix and repair and get better at being a person. We're trying to actually live out of a new person, a new identity. And so we learn to fly, so to speak, by submitting to the Spirit's renewing work in our minds, okay? Because the reality is, is I think that's what I, I want to get to ground level in your life this week is not what you're supposed to be, but in some ways, how are you going to go about being that? Okay, how does this happen? Where is the rubber meeting the road at this in your life with this? Because that's what doesn't usually happen for messages like this. You don't actually leave here in, in, in Tuesday afternoon at 3.30 when you're supposed to be uh, putting off the old self and living in the new. You're not doing that, and, and the Spirit of God gets in your life and transforms you in that. Like, I want something to happen at Tuesday, Tuesday at 3.30 and today at 11 or whatever time it is, okay? So the first thing we're going to see is what, what does this renewal, a question that we're asking, what does this renewal of your mind uh, lived out, uh, what, what does it look like? What does it look like when your mind is being renewed by the Spirit into this new creature, new likeness of God? <clears throat> 
So pick it up in verse 25. We're going to see what it looks like, how it fleshes itself out in your life. Verse 25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay, so he's going to work through a list of things. Okay, so remember last week we were like, hey, Christianity is not a new, just a list of things to get done. But now that he has rooted all of this in and putting off of the old self and a putting on of the new that's happened through the gospel, because God has loved you and accepted you and forgiven you in Jesus, because all that the gospel communicates to you now, having put away falsehood, okay, so because that's not your identity anymore, you don't live out of that, that means we don't live in falsehood. Falsehood, lying, okay, uh, that belongs to your old self. So when you see that manifesting itself in your life, you can know for sure that that's not your new identity in Christ. That's opposed to God. There might not be anything that's more opposed to God than, than an untruth, than a lie. You cannot separate God and truth as you navigate the scriptures. You will see that they are inextricably tied together. God cannot lie. Can you imagine what it would even mean for God to lie? Every time he says something, it is. And what truth is, is just that which is in accordance with reality. Okay, so we have a real like problem, culturally speaking, where it's like, hey, this is my truth, you know, and this is my truth. It's like, what is real? Because that's what we need to actually know. I'm like, hey, it's my truth that I can jump off this building and gravity doesn't really work for me. I'm like, well, what's real? You know, like, because we need to get to that. This bull doesn't weigh 3,000 pounds and can't crush me. That's my truth. I'd be like, well, I have a different truth, rodeo man. Um, So God never lies. It would be impossible for him to lie. We need to know where truth is and truth is what God has said. That's what reality is. So whatever he speaks is, period. And so... um, Paul told us in verse 21, if you track back up in Ephesians 4, in verse 21, he says, the truth is in Jesus. And that's an interesting thing to say, the truth is in a person. But Jesus said the same thing. Speaking about himself, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, the epicenter of truth, the most real thing in the universe, it's me. Which makes tons of sense if you follow in the scriptures because everything was created through him. It says that for him and to him and through him are all things. Everything is pointing at Jesus, okay? I had this really interesting conversation with my daughter this last week where I was trying to help her reorient her mind around truth. And I said, what's at the center of the world? Not like a magma or what, you know, but uh, what's at the center of life? And, And I was like, it's not mom, it's not dad, it's not you, it's not baby sister. And she said, it's God. Now, we need to, there's a long way to go before we live like that, but she knew the answer, so I was encouraged. And so Jesus is truth. And so to live out of an identity formed in Jesus and lie, speak untruth, is so counter, right? And that's not a truth, that's not just like, hey, I'm, uh, uh, when I'm on the test, you know, on a witness stand, I'm going to testify. It's even, it's even the truth that we conceal and that we hide from one another. We don't live truthfully. We don't live um, acknowledging all of our failures, all of our, who we are, okay? But look at this. Satan, who, he's described not as somebody related to truth, but it says he's the father of lies, John 8, 44 says it this way. Jesus talking to Pharisees 
uh, some religious leaders of the day, okay, who were trying to live out a religiously formed identity. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Okay, so Jesus didn't mince words, all right? It's kind of like, hey, straightforward, you're devil kids, all right? Uh, he just goes right after him. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is who is opposed to God. So do you see why speaking falsehood, lying is so opposed to our new life in Christ? Because it's everything that has to do with the one who is opposed to God. If we're, if we're created in the likeness of God, we're going to be created as truth tellers. And so the Spirit of God, what he wants to do in you as he's renewing your mind, is renew your mind to be a truth teller. It's scary to be a truth teller. It really is to be honest about who you are. and on, like just It's scary to walk out there, but that's what the Spirit of God wants to do in you. So I'm just kind of prepping you for that. And uh, if we're living out our new identity, the Spirit is going to renew our minds in order to speak that truth. But what do you see Paul saying? Like, why are we to do this? What's really interesting is he says, why, you see what he says? For we are members one of another. That's his motive for speaking the truth. He says we are members of one another. Failing to deal with one another in truth destroys the community of Jesus. When we lie to each other, it would be like my cells lying to each other my arm lying to my chest or my brain lying to my feet because we are part of Jesus' body. So when we don't tell each other the truth, it destroys the community of Jesus. Okay? So that's why the Spirit is so intent on making us, renewing our minds to be truth tellers. Okay? So keep going. He says, in verse 26, he says, again, he's kind of walking out. What does it look like for this new identity to be fleshed out in our lives? And a lot of this is, what does it look like to walk in worship? Okay? That's why this series is called that. He says, be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, so he kind of shifts gears away from this truth thing, and now he moves towards anger. And uh, he says, this thing that I, I like, guarantee you, you've kind of either just glazed over, or you looked back at, and you're like, ah, okay, be angry and do not sin. I, I get it. Let's move on. You know, like, what, what does he really mean? Is that possible? Is it possible to be angry and not sin? We know for sure it is because God is angry. God is angry sometimes. He tells us that he is. Now, he's slow to anger, but he gets angry. And the reason why is anger is a function of love, okay? Anger is not sinful in and of itself. There is sinful anger, though. And so it's a function of love. What do I mean by that? Um, I love my daughter, and so if somebody tries to hurt my daughter, that's going to make me angry, okay? I'm going to react in a way to protect the thing that I love, okay? So, yes, we can be angry and not sin. The problem is when our loves are wrongly ordered, okay? That's where uh, our ability to not, to be angry and not sin gets really mixed up, okay? And so, uh, the question, just I'm, I'm kind of giving you some hooks on this. Uh, the question I, I, I find helpful regarding my anger, if I'm actually going to let this identity, if I'm living, if the Spirit is renewing my mind to live out an identity in Christ, okay, the question I have to ask myself is, what is, what is my motive and what is my method on anger? Okay, why 
am I angry? Is it selfish? Is it somehow just a selfish motivation that I'm angry because my expectations got mixed up or messed up or because you insulted me or because of some, some kind of selfish motive? And then what is my method for displaying that anger? Okay, I might be angry over something that's totally justified and then do something totally outside of uh, health, healthy bounds. I might be very destructive. Okay, that's my bent, actually, so you know uh, all my cards on the table. I'm bent towards uh, destructive anger. And a lot of times that's pointed at myself. But James 1.19 says this. He says, uh, Know this, my beloved brothers, that let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So often that my heart is not actually in line with, God, with God's heart when I'm angry. And so... Paul tells us, be angry, but don't sin. So you be angry over the right things, but then he gives this other thing to it. He kind of gives you another uh, piece to that. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, like a lot of people in premarital counseling, you might have heard, okay, so you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger, okay? So you guys need to work it out before your heads hit the pillow, um, or else you're going to be walking in sin. And uh, it's really, you, good luck on that one sometimes, because if it's like 3.30 a.m. and you're still arguing, the odds are is that the thing that you need most is some sleep to think straight, okay? So uh, be, be aware of this, like taking this in, in a way that I don't think Paul really means. What he's talking about is prolonged anger. Now, I think you can wrongfully, in a marital dispute, in marital conflict, actually go to bed angry in a way that you're harboring that, feeding that, encouraging that anger, okay? And Paul, Paul is saying, hey, you got you to gotta stop. Don't feed that. Don't fuel that. Because you, if, if, you, if you know prolonged anger, if you know that state of unforgiveness that's going to lead you towards bitterness where you're still fuming about that, just a good telltale on this. Uh, if you uh, are having more conversations with somebody in your head than you are in person, okay, that you might be in a state of prolonged anger. Okay, just heads up. Or if you are replaying a situation in your head multiple times, if you're thinking, if the life of your mind, that's why, that's why it's so interesting how the Spirit of God is going to renew your mind. He's going to go after your thought life. And so your ability to not live in prolonged anger has to do with the Spirit of God stopping your mind's tracks and, and turning the direction of your thinking. Okay, and so uh, what's the result, just for the record, of prolonged anger when you feed that? Okay, it's a choice that you make, okay? Now, it might be, again, somebody might have really wronged you or wounded you or hurt you. A lot of good reasons maybe that you're angry, but you're going to feed that and fuel that and create bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, okay? And, and Paul tells us something very specific is going to happen when you do that. You see what he says? And give no opportunity to the devil. Again, if we're, if we're recognizing that the, the spiritual realm is a very real realm that, we oper that, that operates all around us and we just can't see that, then to feed and fuel this bitterness in your soul towards somebody else that's actually going to invite the one who Jesus said he came to steal, kill, and destroy. The biggest misconception about Satan is that he wants you to be on his team. He doesn't want you on his team. He's not like, hey, I'm just trying to find some good recruits around here. Um, you know, I think probably some of that's fueled by like the devil went down to Georgia. Uh, you know, like some weird, like we kind of pull in all these different cultural pieces to create this idea of Satan. He's not trying to get you on his team so you can, you know, go to war against Jesus' team. He's trying to kill you. So when you give 
Satan. It would be like um, if I, if there was some kind of like a tiger outside of my door. That's how God actually talks about sin. He's like crouching like a lion or a tiger. And I was like, you know what? There's a tiger on our front porch, Natalie. Let's let it in. That's, we would never do that. I'd be like, there's a tiger. I don't even know what I'd do next. Maybe call the police. Is Jimmy here? Jimmy Williams, can he come? Like, wrestle the tiger maybe? I'm not really equipped for that. But um, somebody with a big dart gun, something. I'm not going to let it into my home, though. So I'm not going to give opportunity to the devil. Okay, so keep going. Um, he says, then he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So what's fascinating here is that Paul doesn't say, you know, Christians, they should have a good work ethic, so as the Spirit's changing you, you need to work hard, okay? That's, that's not disconnected from what he's saying, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a faithful employee later on in Ephesians, but what he says right here is Paul is looking at the community impact of your thieving, which for the record, this word is as much about misappropriating resources as it is going and taking somebody's watch or something. Okay, it's about you misappropriating resources that God has, been, has given to you. And instead, you're trying to take what he's entrusted to somebody else. Paul's looking at the community impact. He says, don't steal. Taking what God has entrusted to someone else. Work hard so you can be generous. Like who? Like God. He's making you into his likeness. And that spirit, as the spirit works in you, rather than having to misappropriate resources, rather than taking your time and energy and money and doing things with it that God does not intend for, you can actually take those and say, these all belong to you, God, and I want to do with them what you want to do. That's what happens when we start living out of this identity in Christ, okay? And it says, uh, just, just as a question, don't you want to be a part of that community? a community that's full of truth-tellers that are honest. Living with people around you who are honest with you, one of my favorite things about one of my coworkers is that when I have something in my teeth, they tell me. Okay, that's some honesty, okay? Just some, like, some of this is just like ground floor. Like my wife told, today, she's like, hey, don't wear that sweatshirt, okay? Don't do that. You should not wear that sweatshirt, okay? I'm being honest with you. But then it gets into these bigger parts of their lives. Like, hey, do you know that there's this huge part of who you are that's really hurting everything around you? i got to be honest with you. But when we live in that place of honesty, man, there's like health and relationship. When we live in a generous community, man, there is uh, just a, a beautiful picture of how God treats us when our neighbors are generous towards us. Um, and then lastly, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so just take like a real quick like walk through your last 24 hours and think about the words that you used and the way that you spoke to people. Does that, does that fit what this is saying, this new identity, what the Spirit wants to do in you, to bring out in you is these words, the way that you speak, what comes out of your mouth. And, and Jesus is really clear on this. He's like, what you put into your mouth, that's not gonna make you unclean. You want to know what's going to make your heart, uh, what, what shows where you, the uncleanness is in your life? It's not what goes into your mouth. It's what comes out. Does it tear down? Uh, sarcasm is a helpful tool in comedy and a helpful tool that I think even Jesus sometimes uses, but it has got to be used with a scalpel. It's that word sarcasm, it's like tearing of flesh. 
So just be careful with your words. That's what Paul is saying. If you're going to be renewed in your mind, it's going to cause you to be careful with your words. It doesn't mean we like always walk around like very robotic, unable to be uh, forthright with people, but it does mean that we need to understand the impact because it's going to give grace to those who hear, potentially. Now, who cares at the end of the day, like, this is, like, why is this such a big deal about what we say or how we work or all of these things? Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is a really interesting kind of place where Paul lands a lot of these thoughts. Is he's saying when you are living, in, uh, living out these ide- an identity of the old self, that the Holy Spirit in you is grieved by that. that which, I mean, one way just points to his personhood, that the Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved. It's, it's like weighs on him. It, 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 makes, it hurts his soul. However that's possible for the Holy Spirit, it is what he's saying happens whenever our words don't give grace, whenever they tear down, whenever they corrupt, whenever they wound this community that we live in that the Holy Spirit, whom you were sealed by for the day of redemption, okay? So here's the way that this looks, I think. Uh, my daughter, again, I was having a conversation with her this week, a disciplined conversation, uh, which is not about punishment. It's about teaching her something. So I'm trying to teach her in this moment. And, and throughout this conversation, she was frequently just disobeying and disobeying. She was adding and adding and adding her disobedience. I mean, every, every just trying, hey, can you come sit here and talk to me? And it's like, no, I can't even do that. I'm going to keep adding layers of disobedience. And, it, and as, a, as a parent, you know this. If you have kids you're not just frustrated because your kid's not doing what you want them to do. It grieves you because they're not choosing things that will lead them to life. They're, they're choosing things that are going to lead you away from relationship. So that was what it was for my daughter. I was like, you're interrupting fellowship with me because you're choosing to walk down these other roads. And so rather than grieving the Holy Spirit of God, we're going to be renewed by him in our thinking. We're going to submit to his influence in the direction of your thinking, okay? Because it grieves him, because, not because he's like, oh man, you know what? I was really trying to get that person to do what I want them to do. Just because I'm on a power trip, I'm the Holy Spirit, and people don't talk about me as much, and uh, I'm just kind of looking for some space, time in their life, and somebody to give me some credit, and so I wanted them to do what I told them to do in that moment. That's not how the Spirit of God operates the Spirit of God is wanting to lead you towards life. And so every time someone whom he has sealed for the day of redemption chooses something, uh, lives out an identity that's not what he is calling them to, that grieves him. And so here's where I want to get to and where I want to land with you is uh, that submission to his influence, that's going to happen in super small, subtle ways throughout the course of your week, Okay? And if you, if you like, you're not going to be wowed by this message, and I'm okay with that, but you might be wowed by the fact that the Spirit of God shows up in your life this week. Not by doing something where necessarily, you know, a bunch of people are throwing their magic books in a bonfire and setting that off. You know, like, maybe that's going to happen. Maybe a bunch of people are going to start repenting of these very obvious, uh, very, uh, like, very outside of the bounds of Christianity kind of things. People are going to start coming in here and they're like, hey, yeah, I used to deal drugs and now I don't deal drugs. I used to uh, bring people into sex trafficking. Now I don't do that anymore. I used to rob banks. 
I don't know that that's going to happen. If it does, I'm going to be pumped, okay? We're going to capture that on video. It's going to be amazing. We're going to burn all the magic books right here, okay? And the fire department's over there, so it's going to be great. But more than, more than like burning magic books or, uh, you know, serial killers getting their lives flipped around, I think that the Spirit of God might in these small, subtle ways start leading you to be a truth teller with your spouse or with your discipleship group, to be honest. Rather than stealing from your employer, you're going to, be, you're going to work hard, not so that you can uh, earn God's love, but so that you can be generous like God's been generous to you. You're going to see a moment where somebody needs grace, and you're going to speak grace into their life because the Spirit of God is renewing your mind. And the thing that I want to just run to with you at the end of this is verse 32. It's the, it's the verse that has just captured my heart all week long. And uh, it's the thing that, like, if we want to know what's going to bind together City Church, you're going to make this church a beacon of light in this city to the world, okay? You want to see this church overcome all of the different uh, things that could tear us apart and uh, hurt one another and uh, remove people from our body? Okay, this one thing, I think, is what is going to do that. He says in verse 32, he says, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. And then he says, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So if you want to See what the Spirit of God wants to do in you. He's going to preach the gospel to you. He is going to take the gospel of Jesus and apply it in real time to your life. That's what he wants to do. That's what the scriptures are all pointing to is how is the Spirit's influence going to work in you? It's going to lift up Jesus in your life, okay? And you're going to see that he has forgiven, God has forgiven you in Christ. And so because of that, you now have the capacity, okay, to take where, where maybe somebody did lie to you and you can forgive them. Maybe somebody did hurt you and you can forgive them. Maybe there is some conflict or some rift or some division in our community and you're going to say, because of the forgiving work of Jesus, I can actually now bring this back together. We can be a whole community, a whole people that is now displaying God's love to our community, okay? That's what is going to happen as the Spirit of God is renewing your mind. You're going to, that word, it's, it's become kind to one another. It's be becoming kind. It's not something that Paul is assuming you're awesome at right now. But because of the Spirit's work in your life to teach you the gospel over and over again, you're going to learn how to become kind. That word kind is sort of just like, um, it's also used for like a mellow aged wine. It's not sharp or cutting or hurtful. It's kind and gentle, useful to the other people around you. Tender-hearted, it's the opposite of hard-hearted. Hebrews 3.13, don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Where's that hardening taking place? In your heart. The gospel of Jesus can make you tender-hearted towards one another. What relationship is fractured? What, what, what wrong has been done to you? What doesn't look like it should in our community? You, in Christ, are wealthy enough to repair it. That's what he's telling you. And why wealthy? Wealthy is a weird word right there, okay? And this is where we're going to land this plane. Wealth is required to forgive debts, okay? And where sin has been done, where wrong has been done, there's always a debt created. You think about it like this. One time, some of our friends, their dog came with them when they stayed at our house. It was a puppy. It was a white golden retriever puppy, very cute. His name was Amos. And Amos chewed my glasses up. Okay, my eyeglasses, so what I use to see. 
Amos, he was just a puppy. He chewed him up. And um, the reality is, is that he chewed up $100 worth of vision for me. Okay, they were not, they were Warby Parkers, so they were like, whatever, 95 bucks. And so for, for me to forgive them, okay, it costs something. Forgiveness always costs something. You have to understand that if you're going to understand the gospel, okay? And what we have, the reason why we're wealthy enough to forgive is because of the amount of investment that Jesus has made in us, the debt that he has forgiven us of. That is how the gospel works. That's how forgiveness works between one another. It's not because you just kind of muster up a lot of niceness in you. It's because God has made you rich in Jesus, and so you can say, you've wronged me, I can forgive you. You've wronged me, I can forgive you. That's how that works. Where there is a wrong, someone has to pay. And what Jesus has done is he has gone first and he has funded all of your forgiveness of anybody in this community or beyond it. It is amazing. Specifically, how did God in Christ forgive you? Look closely. It re- just listen closely. This is how this happened. In Revelation 5, 9, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. God ransomed. He paid your debt with his blood. He has funded your forgiveness, and so now he has funded your forgiveness of anybody around you. Be kind. Uh, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And we'll close by reading this. I'm just going to read this song to you. It's called His Mercy is More. And um, it says, What love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins there are many, his mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam, what father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. His sins there are many, our sins there are many, his mercy is more. What riches of kindness he, he lavished on us, his blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt, neath a debt we, could not, we could never afford, our sins there are many, his mercy are, is more. And that mercy is what is going to transform you. That is the mercy that the Spirit of God wants to take and apply into your life for you to remember again and again where you stand with God right now. And so he's going to renew your mind around what it looks like to be a truth teller, what it means to be generous about all these other things that are going to get worked out in your worship of God. But they start with this one place of the Spirit of God renewing you, understanding who you are, you're standing with God, and how you came to be that way. And so this week, I just want you to pay attention to the habits of thinking that you have. What is the direction of your thinking and how is the Spirit of God coming to bear on those thoughts? Where you see lies in your life, where you see anger in your life, where you see uh, a lack of generosity in your life, where you see uh, uh, words that are cutting and striking against other people. What is going on in your thinking and where is the Spirit of God wanting to come to bear on your thinking? That would be my question for you. Habits are forming our worship, so let's make a habit of surrendering to the Spirit because as the Spirit is recreating you in God's image, he is recreating the church as God's community. As he's recreating you in his image, he will then recreate our community to be God's community. Okay?
Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a couple minutes before you come and receive communion. I just want, to, I want you to take a minute uh, and ask the Spirit where he wants to come to bear on your thinking, where your thought life, where your heart is actually running from God, where you're not believing in his forgiveness of you through Christ, and so you're holding on to something against somebody else. Where does the Spirit want to recreate you in God's image and impact our community? Okay? It's going to be a very scary thing if the Spirit actually tells you something because you're going to have to act on that. And so I just want you to know that I am here to help. Uh, pastors, elders around here to help. People in your discipleship group are here to help. Okay? Because um, when the Spirit actually says, hey, I want you to move on this, act on this, change your thinking on this, tell somebody. And there's actually freedom in life found there. All right? Take a minute. We're, gonna, we're just going to take a minute and pray together right now. Holy Spirit, what do, you want, what do you want to say to us? Would you, drown out, would you drown out voices that are not yours in our minds and in our hearts that aren't lined up with your word, that aren't submitted to the truth of your word because we know that you speak in concert and chorus and unity with uh, the Father and with the Son. You speak on their behalf into our lives. You're gonna come and bring about conviction where we need conviction. God, where are we stealing where are we lying? Where are we tearing down one another? Where have we forgotten how to be kind and tenderhearted? Where are our hearts hard? When you take and reply, apply the truth of the gospel, how you have forgiven us in Christ. Not with a cheap, a cheap fix, a cheap payment, with, but with the costly grace of Jesus' blood. Holy Spirit, we want you to move in our midst and we want Jesus to get so much glory in this community. We want Jesus to get so much glory in this church where there are people on the outside of uh, the faith, where there are people on the outside of this family of faith. God, would you bring them into that family today? Would you do something like you did in Ephesus in our midst today? because we are proclaiming this radical news that you love us and you'll change us, not that we are changed and then you love us. Help us to believe it, Holy Spirit. Help my friends in this room to take action on the things that you're pressing on their heart. Oh, I can't wait to see how you'll do it. I'm confident in you, Holy Spirit. I'm confident in your grace. I'm confident in the direction you're leading us. I'm confident in you and your power and your ability, not in me not in anything we can produce as a church on our own. So would you do that? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.